Welcome to the Medicare podcast series. Medicare was a program started in 1965 to provide health insurance coverage to U.S. seniors aged 65 years and over. Medicare Advantage, also known as MA or Part C, is an alternative to traditional Medicare. It allows beneficiaries to get Medicare benefits offered by approved private insurance companies. It is the fastest growing Medicare segment nationally with over 8% CAGR, 27 million enrollees representing 44% of eligible Medicare beneficiaries. In fact, some of our research shows that MA plans have materially improved on cost and efficiency over the last 10 years compared to traditional Medicare and even commercial lines of business. They outperform commercial and Medicaid on a number of metrics, including quality outcomes and access to care. MA is profitable, it is stable, and has long had bipartisan support. In today's episode, we will listen to how Medicare market leaders and innovators are transforming healthcare to meet the evolving needs of seniors. This is McKinsey on Healthcare. I'm Monisha Machado-Pereira, a senior partner at McKinsey and leader of the firm's Medicare practice. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be joined by two leaders in this space. From Humana, a market-leading Medicare payer that serves over 4.5 million Medicare Advantage members, is retail segment president Alan Wheatley. And joining us from Alignment Healthcare, a fast-growing Medicare Advantage innovator that recently launched an IPO, is founder and CEO, John Kale. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Typically, people start with, you know, your company and products, but I'd like to start with you as individuals and, and understand what your journey has been to get you to this point. Alan, let's start with you. Okay. Happy to start. I have been with Humana on September 3rd of this year, will be my 30-year anniversary. When I started with Humana, we were the nation's largest hospital system. We spun off our hospitals in, in, in 1992, about a year and a half after I started, and I stayed with the insurance company. Uh, you know, I'm a finance accounting guy by, by training, but but I've done a lot of things internally to Humana, ran a consulting group for quite a while, and moved into the Medicare business in, in November of 2004. Shortly after the Medicare Modernization Act was, was passed, December of three, the, that changed the game for Medicare beneficiaries, uh, most importantly, but certainly for Medicare Advantage organizations because it appropriately funded the program uh, and created the Part D program because prior to that point, uh, Medicare members had no drug benefit or of any material value anyway. We grew from 350000 members back in 04 to the four and a half million that, that you, you mentioned. We were not a large component of the business and it wasn't a large part of who we were for a while. So so in, in some ways I have I got the opportunity to be a small company inside a large company and that, that afforded us the opportunity to move quick and, and, and to grow. That's great, Alan. John? Yeah. I've started uh, serving uh, seniors about 25 years ago. I started with a company called FHP, uh, which was one of the first Medicare contractors back in the uh, 80s. I think I started there in 1994, I think it was. 
And then in 1995, FHP and Pacificare uh, and Secure Horizons merged. And so I joined Pacificare and worked with one of my mentors, Alan Hoops, um, and there learned about provider partnerships, learned about uh, uh, scaling Medicare Advantage. And prior to uh, alignment, I was with a company called Caremore. And there I learned about um, chronic disease management and bending the cost curve and, and how to identify the 20% of the chronic frail population that account for 80% of the spend. And you put all that together is, and, and all the lessons learned is, is, is really where, you know, and how I, I got into starting uh, alignment. But I think that was amplified from some, just some personal experiences that I had with my mom and and I, I think there's an opportunity for us to make Medicare Advantage even better and to have higher degrees of, of you know, consumer advocacy. If I can you know, help um, the entire industry and, and have people and care delivery and benefits take care of all seniors like I would want my mom to be taken care of, I think that would be a a good legacy, um, and just to treat everybody out there, uh, every one of our members, as if uh, they were they were our own parents. That's beautiful. That's great, and um, and I think that's important because I you know I, I don't have to tell both of you the competition in this market abounds, right? I mean, the average MA shopper now has more choices than ever. Has I think our recent study showed that, you know, over 70% of counties are seeing an increase in MA plan options. Given all of that, given your background, your experience, and, and what you want to see is, you know, the impact you create for this community, how have you chosen your source of differentiation in this market? And I know that, you know, most plans, you know, everybody has to do everything. You've got to pull all the levers. But if you think about the top one to three things that you've had to do that really differentiates you, uh, what would you say that is, John? I would say that it goes back to what, what we at Alignment would refer to as this virtuous cycle where we use uh, data and, and, and the, the way in which we ingest data and information to identify uh, high-risk patients earlier. And by doing so, being able to uh, intervene earlier and, and uh, take care of the individuals that otherwise uh, would, would be kind of lost in the system, so to speak. And so number one is to know who that 10 or 20% of the population is that, that need care. And then to care for those individuals virtually and at home and to be an extension of the community PCPs and to augment their practices and give them the resources to care for that, that member that is going to require an hour of their calendar time, not a 15-minute office visit. We can take care of those individuals at home. And, and that thinking has evolved from, from really a, a clinic-based model. It really is a, a more efficient and higher you know, efficacy care delivery model. And so we can consistently deploy that model in markets to bend the cost curve. I, I think it's the virtuous cycle that that's what differentiates us. So the virtuous cycle, John, you said of, of platform and data 
that ties to provider-provider enablement, superior care delivery, and then superior service, which sounds pretty encompassing. Um, Alan, if you think about that, you know, how is Humana the same or different? Yeah, I think there's some similarities. I'll give you three things. One, our relentless focus on quality and health outcomes. I think CMS put together a, a very strong and powerful measurement program focused on on quality and outcomes. And four stars is, is the, the benchmark that everybody strives to achieve at a, at a minimum. We have 93% of our members in four-star plans or higher, and that leads all national health plans and, and has for several years in a row. Two, customer experience. The customer experience is, is paramount in delivering high-quality uh, care because you need, you need your customer to trust you such that they'll listen to you on, on, on healthcare matters. So our relentless focus on customer experience is a way to build, build trust. And then uh, lastly, our value-based models. Uh, value-based care is extremely important, m- moving away from the traditional fee-for-service environment into uh, holistic care and, and working with providers to provide data uh, and, and um, information. And then having a variety of value-based models to help advance the providers in the local communities that exist today, as well as, as port new providers into communities that uh, are less focused on value-based care or, or have uh, opportunities where m- more care is needed, where you have access problems. So our relentless focus on, on delivering value-based programs to our provider partners and helping evolve those provider partners into higher value uh, better outcome value-based programs is, is uh, the three things that I see that differentiate Humana. And where does uh, where does home health fall in that, Alan? Because I know there's been a lot of investment in that space for Humana in particular. You talk about it a lot as, you know, the integrated care delivery that extends into the home. Is that part of, you would say that's part of your service and value-based care delivery? If you go back 20 years, Think about all the services that were delivered through a hospital inpatient setting that moved to an outpatient setting. Care is moving away from the the big traditional boxes and into more freestanding settings and and, and then more home settings. So what we decided to do is to make a major investment in the home space. We bought the the nation's largest home health company, and it will be part of our value-based care continuum, and it is today. But, but it'll be a big part of how we think about value-based care uh, and delivering uh, home care uh, to, to customers in ways that they never thought possible 10 years ago. Maybe shifting gears just a little bit, uh, talking about this move to, to digital, right? I mean, we've seen 85% of Medicare members have said they either have used or they will consider using digital technology for both engagement and care. If you just look at the telemedicine module, we've seen an increase versus 2020. Given this shift, I'd love to hear how you're thinking about shifting your business model and then scaling that. Go ahead, John. Before COVID, you know, we were seeing uh, pretty much 100% of our interactions at the home of, on, on the high-risk member population that we identified. During COVID, we had about 100% virtual. And so it forced us to build um, capabilities that engage the consumer 
virtually, and I mean both telephonically and and from a video perspective. And what's interesting is um, now that we're kind of phasing out of COVID, we still do about 60 to 70% of our interactions uh, virtually. And so I, I think it's here to stay. I think that many of the interactions members have with primary care, a lot of it at least is the PCPs that our members are saying, you know, or they go in and, and they, they get referrals to specialists and they get prescriptions. A lot of those kinds of interactions can be virtual. And so I, I think in the next five years, being able to find the right balance of virtual engagement and in-person live engagement is going to be where I think all, all plans are, I think are going to be focusing on that. I think how that gets all productized is going to be how this ultimately shakes out. Alan, how do you respond to that? I agree with a lot of, of what John, John said. Digital can mean a great many things to many people. I think seniors have widely accepted digital and, and, and use it in a variety of ways. When the world largely shut down, providers had to move quickly to have their technology set up such that they could see customers uh, th through digital means. So uh, audio, video, telehealth visits became the norm for several months. We, we went from having uh, less than a couple of hundred thousand tele telehealth visits for our membership in 2019 to about six and a half million in 2020. And, and we're seeing those trends largely continue into 2021. Providers have widely adopted it as uh, telemedicine and telehealth as a more normal course of business. That improves customer provider interactions. It creates faster access to care uh, and it, it creates better connectivity between the provider and the patient. Many of our value-based providers use the audio video uh, telehealth technology to do follow-up care. You're never going to eliminate the, the need to be face-to-face. -face. What you can eliminate is the unnecessary follow-up care that takes the amount of time that a, a normal follow-up visit might take. And the other, the other thing that excites me about that, Monisha, is, is um, think about what it can do to access we, we talk about behavioral health as one of the biggest challenges that seniors face and that, that, that you know, the industry faces. Uh, there, there's just not enough qualified behavioral health providers to be able to see, to see our members and, and John's members and Medicare members broadly in the way that we need. The other, the other digital piece, and I mentioned it before and probably will again, is, is the, the ability to move data around real time between us and the providers and, and candidly, us and members. You, you think about some of the blue button information that, that the Medicare program is pushing to where members can get access to their own health records and, and their, their own data and control their data. In a, and that creates a very powerful um uh, position for, for customers in healthcare because they own their own data, they own their own records in ways that they haven't before. And fostering more use of that and, and more connectivity there, I think, is something important for us. And that's a great, it's a great segue to the next part of the conversation I want to have with you both. Is John, I know you said 
you know, you were referencing the senior of tomorrow. And while the senior of tomorrow isn't here today, the expectations, I think, of tomorrow are here today, right? People have the same kind of expectations of an, of an integrated experience, especially as members are controlling more of the data. You know, they've got their Fitbits and they've got their monitors. And so they have a lot of information just on themselves. Given this, how, how are you thinking about uh, improving the experience, the integrated experience for a Medicare member? I, I do think the, the expectation of seniors due to the experiences that, that we all went through in the last year and a half resulting from COVID and the, just the changing dynamic of a more tech-enabled senior are, are, are going to change um, buying expectations. I mean, and first of all, I would say the population that we're talking about is extremely value-oriented. Um, and, and so they're, they're very diligent shoppers for, for health insurance. I, I think people's expectations around uh, access to care and much more timely access to care, you know, kind of just the wait times in specialty offices. I mean, just as an example, I think, I think those kinds of norms are going to start being uh, broken uh, and people are going to want more immediacy to care, um, number one. And, and number two, I, I, I really think there's going to be a much more kind of focused uh, convergence between traditional health insurance and, again, I, I referenced it earlier, social determinants and lifestyle. People are going to want to have this virtualized. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I see the foundational bricks being put in place right now so that those that those organizations that can get the data that can create tight relationships with providers and consumers and have the back end essentially of this of this kind of healthcare supply chain for, for lack of a better word if if the back end of it is automated and you can reproduce uh, you know, low cost and, and, and while also producing high quality of, of clinical outcomes and experience. I think, I think digitizing it is, is going to be very actionable within the next three to five years. Uh, uh, and I think that's going to be where the future, future is. I don't think those that are, you know, investing in just the front end, so to speak, on the pure experience side without the back end capability to ensure quality and, and low cost. I don't think that's going to be a sustainable answer. I'm not sure it changes what we do, which is again, you know, serving seniors. And if you just do the right thing, I think a lot of good things can happen. But but that that's certainly where some of our our capital is going to be going is preparing for where that, you know, that virtualization process actually is going to be broadly accepted. John, just a follow-up question. I know you said that you know you're investing your dollars on making sure that it's both front-end and back-end optimization, so that you can deliver this experience. I would argue that most companies would say that they are doing the right thing, right? I think most companies would be incented to do the right thing, as given the the population and the industry they're in. But still, the experience lags. And it's still one of the worst experiences that we have. So I, I, I would argue that's insufficient and we probably have to move quicker. So would you say from a 
you know, as you look to your next, um, you know, year, three years out, is there anything you'd accelerate or is it more stay the course and, um, you know, we'll, we'll make improvements as they come? So when we started alignment, one of the first things that we, we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we had a care delivery culture, a care delivery centricity, the vocabulary we use, the, the you know, put the member first culture um, is, is something that I think has served us well. Present company, you know, excluded, I, I would say a lot of our peers uh, don't have their roots stemming from care delivery. Uh, their, they, their roots are from insurance, you know, underwriting. And it's a very different uh, perspective and a very different culture. I think those organizations that, that understand and, and their roots stem from care delivery, I don't think it's accidental that, you know, Humana is number one in customer service. I mean, their roots are, are stemmed in, in care delivery. And I think alignment's roots are stemmed in care delivery. So I think that's, that, that matters. If you can combine that with the ability to construct products that are creating incremental value to consumers at the end of the day value to a human being i think that's where the where the magic occurs you kind of need both and a lot of folks don't have both alan i'd, I'd love for you to to provide your your point of view you know i could see the benefit of having your roots in care delivery but frankly care delivery itself you know hospitals providers don't provide the best consumer experience, right? You have long wait times, answering the same questions over and over again. I mean, that's sort of plagued that industry as well. How do you think about that? And, and how do you think about this wave of, of companies that are coming in saying, look, retail is the way to go. Thinking about it in a much more retail-facing um, ways is the way to go. I just love your reactions. Great, great question. I would tell you the, the, the healthcare system is very, very fragmented, right? And that creates a, a lot of frustration because it's it's hard to navigate. And for customers, it's hard to navigate at a time in which it's very important for you to navigate it well because the concerns over your health uh, are, are very, very worrisome. What, what we have to do and what we're trying to do at Humana is to make sure that information is flowing freely uh, across the fragmented system such that customers uh, and, and the providers they rely on to treat them have the have access to all the data and can look at a member's issues and needs on a holistic basis. So, so as you think about some of the investments we've made, you, you referenced our Epic partnership earlier in the podcast. Uh, that partnership is all about how do we improve the delivery of care and how do we create opportunities for providers at the point of care when, when they have the customer sitting in their exam room? And how do we give the provider all the information they need? So a, a member may be going in for a flu shot, but we, we let the provider know uh, in, in a um, directed way that the member hasn't had a colonoscopy or a, a cancer screening of, of some type. And we port that information into their workflow through their EMR system, uh, and, and 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 it's um, it it comes up into the into the workflow, so that the so that the provider will use it, and, and uh, he, the provider can address the member needs uh, right then and there. So so that that's an example of how we're trying to take a fragmented system 
uh, that, that hasn't had the highest satisfaction scores and work across that system by leveraging data and, and leveraging the technology that exists uh, to make it less fragmented, to make it more connected and more interoperable. And then what we can do is we can, we can learn what happened in the exam room more instantaneously and ensure that the member has the proper amount of follow-up care. Tr treating patients isn't about just treating uh, th their medical condition. It's about understanding all of their issues, all of the, the social needs that they may have. Because a member may need follow-up care, but he or she has no way, no way to get there. So how do we ensure that we understand that and how do we get them the transportation they need to go um, get the follow-up care? That the member may have uh, three prescriptions, they can afford none of them. How do we know what prescriptions they have? How do we understand some of their uh, socioeconomic issues and then get them some of the help and support that they need such that they can get the medications, maybe perhaps work with the doctor to prescribe a generic instead of a, a, a brand medication so the member the, the member can afford the medication they need to take. Also, food insecurity. So it, it's honestly, Monisha, it's about taking, it's about understanding the fragmented system and then trying to work horizontally across the verticals to integrate the system, leveraging data, technology, information, uh, to ensure that the member feels like they have a complete holistic experience as they move through the healthcare system. Just to touch on your insight, which I think is really good, I, I don't think many uh, hospital systems have, you know, I think all have tried. I, I know for a fact all have talked about getting into value-based care in a big way. And I, I would say some have been successful with, with ACOs. But by and large, I, I don't think many have, have, have been as successful as they would have hoped. You know, we, we, we've kind of just con concluded, you know, we, we do have hospital partners. Uh, but really what, what we're, partnering with our, our doctors. I mean, it's really the doctors um, in the community, whether they be part of a large you know, hospital system or not, or their own independent medical group, I think they're the ones that are going to affect the levels of change. And, and so that, that I think is, is critical. And, and, and again, to your point, getting the data and the data infrastructure at the top of the supply chain should not be, um, you know, underestimated the criticality of that. And you, know, you hear more often than not, a lot of providers go, we don't get the data until 60 days later or 30 days, you know I mean? As opposed to, you know, real, real time. So, so getting that data, I think is really important. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's, it's heartening to hear, you know, the direct to consumer data integration, breaking down the silos that being the foundation from which to build to a better, more integrated experience, and the fact that both of you are making uh, investments in that space. So I, I appreciate hearing that. Maybe a, a last question. Uh, you know, you're, you're bo you've both been in this industry for a while. As you look forward, uh, one innovation that you're, you're most excited about. Alan? I touched on it earlier. The, the movement of, of care into the home and the opportunity to take value-based care, value-based programs and integrate it with the home delivery model. 
And, and the way we're, we're thinking through that is this won't be a humana solution. It will be an industry solution. So our, our kindred asset is a payer agnostic asset. The design, the design is how do you take advantage of the movement from inpatient to outpatient, outpatient to freestanding, freestanding to home, and, and, and create better opportunities for more access to care and, and better opportunities to deliver care in a setting that the customer is most comfortable with. That's a great opportunity for us to move the industry to higher ground and to improve health outcomes broadly. Thank you, Alan. John, let's give you the last word. Yeah, I, I, I'm enthusiastic about someone in the industry, in, in, in you know, I'll call it the, the Medicare Advantage value-based care sector, I think is, is going to, um, trying to think of a different way of saying it, but I can't come up with it, so I'll just say it, is someone's going to figure out to be the, the healthcare Amazon. I mean, someone is going to figure that out. And I, I just think that with, with the home-based care model, with the virtual platforms, I think, starting to evolve, with more and more kind of, you, you see vertical and virtual integration between the plan and the provider, uh, you've got much more you know, fluidity of data. I guess the buzzword now is liquidity of data. I think the component pieces are in place so that the organizations that can, in fact, pull all that together, uh, and obviously that's something we're focused on at Alignment, to do that in a way that can scale and not be just regional, but scale, that's the, that's the game changer. And I think, I think the race is on as to you know, who can do that. And I think I think there's you know the the little guys like us you know speed is is an advantage, uh, scale is a disadvantage, um, and I think if the big guys can 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 move at the speed of the little guy but leverage their scale, they're going to be tough to beat. With again present company excluded, I, I'm not sure the big guys can move as fast as what's going to be required. To, to, to effect that level of change. But I think the opportunity is there. Yeah, that's a great, great point, John. And okay, this is, could be another area for partnership, right? You could partner to get scale. You could partner to move with agility. So I think the future is exciting and I appreciate both of you, your time, your insight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.